Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Adam Kipnis here with the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast, Lessons You Don't Learn in Business School. And today we're going to talk not only about business and money lessons, but also life and demographic lessons and what that means. Uh, Today's guest is an ER doctor, a speaker. He owns, I believe, 22 private ER facilities in Texas. Correct me if I got the number wrong. He's the author of How to Become a Millionaire. If a black guy can do it, so can you. And is uh, at Millionaire Black Guy on Instagram. Dr. Paul Aline, thanks for being here today. Uh, Thank you for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure to be on the broadcast. You're welcome. I really um, wanted to have you here. One, I read your book. Uh, Paul and I met at a mastermind in, um, I think it was February, and I read your book, and I, it just struck me as a, just a different way to think about life and business and growing up in America. And before we get started into your story, what led you to write the book? I think uh, I started the book in 2015, and, you know, I think uh, one of the things that's always been a passion of mine is how to be financially independent and understanding why some people were able to accumulate wealth and other people were not. And so I've always been fascinated about, you know, how could I do better for myself? And I always uh, made the promise that once I became or to some degree financially successful, I would share what I learned uh, with others such that they would be able to uh, hopefully benefit from my experience. Appreciate that. And, and when, when you wrote it, you, you did a lot of research, not only on your own life and, and how others have made money, but also the demographics of being successful in America, whether you're white, black, um, Indian, immigrant, or natural born. Was that always part of the plan to add that, or was that something that that just came from your own experience and your own research? Well, I think it's just, uh, you know, sometimes if you listen to the financial news, something that's brought up is about the wealth gap, and that wealth gap exists between usually minorities and, um, you know, white America, and as well as Asian America. And so when you look at that and it says, okay, if there is this, wealth gap, and it is broken down by, you know, racial demographics, why does this exist? And, uh, you know, the, and the reason I put the title as it was, it was really just meant to be more of a, uh, a zinger so that people took a a, a closer look to see, okay, why did you title the book uh, this way? Um, It was really meant to say, okay, here, you know, there is an issue where there is this uh, success wealth gap uh, in America that is clearly broken down around uh, racial lines and how to, you know, how did I overcome that? Um, how did I think differently? How did I approach life differently that I was able to succeed? And, and, I, and I love that you said that. How do you approach life differently? How did you approach life differently, especially as, as a young kid up through college and medical school? Well, I think a lot of times, you people approach life in a very individualistic way where I'm going to create my own path. Uh, You know, fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of your success is going to be determined on the environment in which you were born into and that you grew up with or grew up in. And, you know, I don't think many people are very cognizant of that. Like they feel as though they can, 
you know, kind of chart their own course. But if you don't kind of look at your life, look at your surroundings, look at the people around you, um, who, um, what their level of success is, it's going to be very challenging for you to really become as successful as you want to be if that's what your dream is. And, and so it was not just a, I want to be successful. It was much bigger than that, it sounds like. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, we're all in this journey of life together at this time. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in how can I help the world be a better place uh, during my time here. And like I said, I think what I've found with money, you know, at the end of the day, I really don't care about money um, from the standpoint that, you know, you can't really take it with you. Uh, it, it does really nothing for you uh, in terms of uh, leaving any kind of um, uh, happiness in your life. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that have money, but they're miserable. But my group of people is really the people who they're unhappy because they're not able to have the life that they want because of financial limitations. And it's really tying in and telling people, okay, this is how you need to approach the world such that you can maximize your financial value. And the reason I feel money is important is because money, money affects the quality of your life and it affects the type of person that you can ultimately be. Um, you know, you see a lot of wealthy people when they get into philanthropy, uh, it's because they have excess and I find that, you know, people who tend to be, uh, who are financially well off, can uh, it gives you the opportunity to then be a contribution to others. When you are always kind of scratching for your own um, uh, money or your own uh, ability to provide for yourself, it narrows your scope and narrows your focus to really just thinking about you and maybe your circle, like your family, whether it be your wife and kids. But once you live in a place of, you know, what I, can, what I call abundance, you're then able to contribute beyond yourself and then be a greater impact, not only to your immediate family, your, you know, your distant family, as well as your community. And was that impact one of the reasons you chose to not only stay at an ER doctor, which you could have been very successful and had all the money and impact in the world just by doing that, but you decided to take an entrepreneurial path and really chart a, a new course in the private ER space. So was it that impact that led you to the entrepreneurial journey that you're now on with, the, with your own clinics? Yeah, I think what, uh, what I realized is that, uh, you know, even when you're a physician, a lot of people, you know, hold physicians in high esteem but most physicians are, for lack of a better uh, phrase, they're, uh, highly, they're highly paid employees, meaning that, you know, they, they don't really have anything that they own. And, you know, the, what I've learned in my journey of starting a business is that the majority of wealth that is generated in this country comes from those who are the owners of businesses. And it took me kind of being on the other side and realizing what opportunities then open up with open up to you, different connections that are made when you are not just an employee, but you are a, an owner of a business and creating opportunities for others. And so now you've got employees of your own and you're creating wealth in their lives through your clinics. Exactly. You know, and I think that's the one thing that I've learned is that the way that wealth is generated is really by how much value are you adding into other people's lives? 
And that could be through, you know, the patient that we treat, but by the fact that you're able to create jobs for people, that's another way that you're creating benefit. Um, And not just the people that you employ, but the people that you, the contractors that you use to clean your facilities, the people that you use to maintain the physical plant of your facility. Like there's just so many ways that uh, everyone is interconnected, but we're not really thinking about it in that way. And is that something you learned through opening your, your first facility, or is that something you really knew when you started the project to, to, uh, to have multiple facilities? I don't think uh, it's something I really had a full understanding of until I opened up uh, facilities and uh, realized that, hey, yes, this is the way that the world, this is the way, this is the American dream, essentially, right? You come and you build something of value and you're able to be successful. I mean, I think that is uh, out of nothing. That is really where the, the entrepreneurial spirit is born and what this, com- this country thrives on. And it's not until you go through that experience that you really start to understand that. And a lot of times, you know, people, oh, Paul, you're a doctor. That's the reason that you're doing well and all this. But I have, and one of the things I point out in my book, there's so many different areas in life where people can be successful that does not require any kind of advanced degrees or any advanced training. And, you know, especially now with the advent of social media, you see so many people have X millions of Instagram followers or, you know, Facebook friends and they're social influencers and they're able to make way more money than I could ever make. You know, you see someone like a Tony Robbins who, you know, I don't even believe Tony Robbins has a, high, uh, has a college education, but, you know, he's able to, you know, be, have, I think last time I heard him speak, he has over half a billion, half a billion dollars in net worth. You know, th- there are so many avenues where people have the opportunity to do things without having, a, you know, formal education. In fact, if I could do it all over again, um, you know, and understanding what entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurship is. And, you know, I would not necessarily spend, you know, my entire 20s in education. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. You know, from the time I was 18 until the time I was 29, I was in school, right? And just think about how much opportunity, how many experiences, how many connections you can build up, you know, during that period of time if you're a go-getter. I always encourage people to stay in school, if you're not a natural go-getter and you're a little bit of a slacker, then you need you probably need that degree. You need that um, uh, credibility. Uh, you know, showing people that you have some level of discipline to comp- to complete a program. But if you're, like I said, more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, and you're disciplined and you're an executor, then you know, traditional education is not necessary. That that's so true, and and um, I. I've, a, a personal um, development guy. I've, I go to a lot of events. I follow a lot of people in the personal development space. And, and you just mentioned not only go-getter, but you mentioned discipline. And that's the hardest thing for most people and most entrepreneurs to, to, really, to really do is, is stay disciplined. And as a doctor, you were, you were busy in, in taking care of your patients, but you also weren't in full control of your calendar because you never know when there's going to be an emergency or something you're needed for. How did you stay disciplined in sort of a hectic um, career to go out and start your own business at the same time? 
Well, I think a lot of times people don't look at their life uh, as uh, in terms of the total view of their life. And so when people make choices, you know, it's really in the moment and not really thinking five to 10 years down the line. Now, I've never really been a very good person when, you know, whether I've been on an interview or someone asked me a question, you know, what are your five-year goals? What are your 10-year goals? Uh, that, that has never worked for me in terms of, because I don't really know what I really necessarily want to do, um, but I know what I don't want to do. And that's also, that's more, in some ways, that's more important than knowing what you want to do. Because when you know what you don't want to do, then you can definitely make choices to avoid that. And so for me, I knew that I did not want to be an emergency physician into my 60s. It's a very um, difficult lifestyle. Uh, the, the pace at which you need to work, the hours that you need to stay up, I realized that that's not the life that I wanted for myself. And so if you in a situation and you realize that based on whatever skills you have, unless you do something different, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, then you have to start making those choices. And so in my, when I first got out of residency and I was working as my full, first time job as an attending, I took a lot of time off. You know, I felt like if I did my, my, my job, I took care of my patients. When I came home, that was my time to do whatever. You know, I played video games, online, Madden, all these different things. Um, by the time I got to about, I'd say about 36, uh, I then started to realize that, and I was already working for about maybe eight years as an attending, eight, seven to eight years as an attending, I realized, you know something? This job could go on forever, and I'm not going to necessarily have the life that I want. This is not the way I saw my life going. And so when you have one of those epiphany moments, you say, you know something, unless I do something different, then I need to, then I will end up just like these guys. And, and the reason I could tell you where my life was going to go is because I was working side by side with ER doctors that were 10, 20 years, 30 years older than me. And I said, well, if this guy is 65 and working the same shifts that I'm working now when I'm 32, I don't want to be that dude. What do I have to do not to be that dude? And so that's where I started thinking to myself, okay, what other things could I do outside of medicine that would, uh, or within medicine that would be a way for me to generate income without having to necessarily be a worker bee at all the time. And, and the that, funny thing is, is that when I look back, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no I was going to say that that's super powerful for, for entrepreneurs and for employees in some of us get so so focused on what we're doing, we don't, and, and maybe we're not happy or maybe we, we're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel and that, you know, if I keep doing what I'm doing, eventually I'm going to break through. But you took a very different approach to it. And, uh, and that's super powerful for people who feel like they're, they're not in love with what they're doing and they're, they're thinking, what am I going to do different? You actually did it. Right. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, a lot of times people, like I said, they're very individualistic in the way that they approach their life. But I'm not, I don't feel like there's anything special about me from the standpoint of there's 7 billion people on the planet. My experience is not going to be that unique. I might voice it. Other people, I may not, I, 
I may articulate it in a way that other people may not. But when you actually stand back, you know, the experience of being human is common among all of us. You know, we have all pretty much all the same desires and the same needs. And so when I say that I don't see myself as anything special, I look at my behavior and I say, hey, if I'm not doing anything different than the guy next to me, why am I expecting to have a different outcome? If he's coming to work and working all these shifts and I'm coming to work and working all these shifts, what's the difference between us? Why am I not going to be this guy in 30 years, right? It's no right. different than, you know, people who work out, right? If I don't work out, right, and I don't exercise, how am I expected to be any better than the guy who doesn't work that I see who may be a little bit more overweight than me and I feel like I'm doing better, but at the end of the day, we're both not working out. We're not doing anything. And so you just have to realize that you have to look at your life in context of the other people around you or, the, or maybe not, you may not have many successful people around you that you, you admire, but you look at them and say, well, what is it that they're doing differently that they have the life that they do and I don't? right? And I need to start doing the things that they're doing because they're living a life that I would like to live. And not necessarily from a standpoint of, you know, oh, they have this type of house, this type of car, that kind of stuff. But in terms of how they're able to conduct and spend their time, my, the most valuable currency we all have is our time. And so that is what I focus on is that how am I spending my time? And as I get older, I realize I can't get years back. You know, when you're young, you feel like you have years to throw away. You know, between 20 and 25, I don't know what I did. I was having a great time. I was partying. It was awesome, right? But as you get older and, the, and life's responsibilities start coming on top of you, you then start looking at your time in a, in a different way, and you're like, am I spending my time the way that I want? And the reason I'm so time-sensitive, getting back to my, my career as an emergency ph physician, is that I've seen so many people die that, it creates that real um, sense of time is precious, life is precious, you need to value it, and not, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, piss it away doing things that are not important to you. And uh, it's not, and just to be clear, I'm not preaching of what my values are to anybody, right? Your values are your values, and I want you to stay true to them. But what I do want you to listen to very strongly is that we all have the same amount of time. And no matter what your values are, no matter what your belief system is, you only have so much time on this earth and you have no idea when it's going to be over. So you need to maximize every moment of it. And that's because that, the, 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 the thing that I hate more that I would, that, that I, my, my greatest fear in life is being on my deathbed and having regret. You know, that I should have done this, I should have done that, and I never got the opportunity to because I was too scared, I was too lazy, I was too distracted, you know, they're just, you know, everyone has those things in their life that, you know, that they would like to do, and they keep putting them off. Um, there's also people, you know, who may be thinking to themselves, Man, if I knew then what I know what I know now, I would do things differently. That's all regret, right? And so, you still have time. If there's something that you really want to do, uh, and again, a lot of it you have to focus on what are the things that are really important to you now, because the things that are were important to you 
you know, the things that were important to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, aren't important to me anymore because you grow, you mature. So, but if there's something, as you get older, those things that are important to you start to become a little bit more static and not as dynamic, you know. But I remember I was a kid, you know, I would love if I could get casted as a Jedi in the next Star Wars movie. That was one of my greatest things, right? Well, as a 40-year-old man, that is not something that's important to me anymore, right? <laughs> so there's just, you, you just have to realize that, you know, as you get older, certain things aren't as important to you anymore. And so you then focus on say, okay, what are the things that are important to me from the standpoint of building a quality life, leaving a legacy? Those are the things that, I, that your, your, your mind starts to change towards. And for some and, people, it may just be as simple as I want to go on a family trip. You know, my, I never got my family together. I've always said that we're going to take a vacation together. It could be just as simple as that. It doesn't have to be becoming a millionaire. It doesn't have to be starting a business. It doesn't have, it's just what is the thing that you true, your, your heart's truest desire and following through on that? that that's, that's so true because if you look back at what you wanted to be and you have regrets about it, you haven't added any value to yourself or your life. It's just something right. that's going to bum you out. But if you want to, let's say we, we just go to the basics and you want to plan a family trip, Rather than saying, I want to plan a family trip, you can, sit, you can jump on the computer and go on Expedia or Travelocity or, or a website and, and start looking at places. So it's that first step that, that starts the ball rolling. And um, as you look, when you started your business, and even today as your business continues to evolve and grow, how do you find that first step of the next thing you need to do? Well, I think you, again, once you get to a certain point where you feel as though, okay, my basic needs are taken care of or a little bit more than my basic needs are being taken care of, you then start to expand your view into, okay, what is it that I can do to be a contribution to others? And so, you know, that's the reason that I wrote the book. You know, everyone told me, you know, when I first wrote the book, How to Become a Millionaire, da, 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 everyone's like, oh, that's how you become a millionaire. You write a book, How to Become a Millionaire, and you sell it, and that's how you become wealthy, <laughs> right? And, and I, for anyone who's ever written a book, you'll know that making a, writing a book is never a money-making uh, venture. It really is a labor of love. Um, and to be honest, you know, I think, you know, my book came out in October. I'm so, I have somewhere just under 500 copies that I've sold. Anyone who can do the math, if you sell 500 copies of a book, you're nowhere close to making, uh, uh, becoming a millionaire off of that. And so, um, you know, I think that my book was really a way for me to be, uh, create a conversation for people. I know the title kind of put some people in a very defensive position because it sounded as though I was being uh, self-deprecating or putting down uh, black men. Um, but the thing is, is that, again, when I was writing that book during that time, was, there was a lot of uh, news in the media, Black Lives Matter movement, and it was just a lot of negativity. And I was just like, you know, hey, it's not all that bad to be a black guy. And I'm going to show you that, you know, l let me show you how you can think about things in a different way. And that's no way for me, that's that in no means am I minimizing that there are issues uh, in this country when it comes to race, gender, uh, sexuality. Um, that, you know, it's not you can be anything you want to be. No, it takes other people around you to, um, to, to help you create the life that you want. And there are going to be people out there that are not going to want to see you be successful based on whatever ideologies that they have. But at the, fl the flip side of that, though, is that there are people out there who are going to help you. 
and they 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 may look different than you. They may believe something differently than they, than than you do. But at the end of the day, they are there to be a positive contribution in your life, and you potentially to be a positive contribution in their life. And I think it's really important that um, what you just said there on um, that there are a lot of people, and there and there is. Obviously, if you turn on the TV, you're going to see the divides in our country, whether they're racial or, or political or, or gender-based. And a lot of people fall into, I don't know if it's a trap, but they fall into that mentality that I can't do that or the, the, the cards are decked against me. Um, did you, one, did you ever have that feeling when you were growing up? And two, I'm sure you've had situations where you've, um, felt prejudiced or had people judge you, and, and how did you, at least in in your mind, say I'm not going to let that bother me? I mean, at the end of the day, we all are kind of conditioned by society, and it um, you have to just realize when you separate yourself and you say, okay, I don't really know that person, but I'm operating under whatever bias that I have. And the example I like to use is that, you know, I've never really been around a pit bull, you know, but the media has made me completely frantic. Like if I were to be around a pit bull, meaning like this is a dangerous dog. However, I have spoken to people that are pit, that are pit bull lovers and pit bull owners. And they say a pit bull is a great dog, um, but it just needs to be trained properly. And you don't really have all these issues that, you know, you see what the media likes to, to, to play up. And so it's the same thing. A lot of times you have a lot of your, a lot of your beliefs are not built on personal experience. They're built on other people's interpretations of uh, their experience. And so what I've decided to see, I, I just see the, the good in people. And if someone is biased against me, that's okay. I mean, that, that's expected to be, I consider that, uh, within a degree of normal. You know, the thing about, you know, I always tell people when it comes to racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, political divides, right? The rules never change, right? It, the same conversations happen year over year. You can rewind back 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The, the same conversations exist. So once you understand the construct and the rules are never going to change, it allows you to navigate within that system a lot better, right? It, it's no different than if I were to be called, pulled over by law enforcement. I already understand, okay, I'm going to be perceived a certain way. No one knows I'm a doctor. No one knows I'm a millionaire. You're just looking at me by, based on my physical appearance. And so it allows me to then, in some way, be in a little bit of control of the situation. It's like, okay, because I've been pulled over by authorities before, and the exchange is, I, I put myself in that person's position because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's going to face the, 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 the fallout if something bad happens, right? I'm the one that's going to potentially get uh, assaulted or shot or whatever. And so I need to understand that uh, I need to manage that situation in the best of my ability. It's no different. You know, I talk to women sometimes and the way they, you know, they don't go out after a certain time. They don't dress a certain way because it may be pro provocative. And, and it's not that they don't have the right to do those things. But when you understand where you fit into society and the way that other groups of people um, 
uh, approach you uh, or think about you, you then have to be in a position of, okay, well, this is the way I need to conduct myself to minimize any negative interactions happening in my life. So, so rather than just fighting every situation, understanding the situation, uh, and that's right. true for race and that's true for business. And exactly. you had to do that in, in building your business is understand what, what the, the rules of the game were essentially, right? Exactly. And, I, I, and to be honest, I really enjoy it because it, you know, the, like I said, the rules never change. And so it's, uh, you just have to realize you're going to meet different characters along the way, but the fundamental rules of the way that business is played it does not change. And the funny thing is, as long as you're successful, and actually the more successful you are, more doors open up for you, more opportunities open up for you. And people, you know, when it comes to making a lot of money, a lot of biases that people have kind of fall by the wayside, you know, because at the end of the day, people, everyone values money and what money can mean means in their life. And so a lot of the, the isms go away, the racism, the sexism, all that stuff goes away when it comes time uh, to people believe that significant money can be made. Very interesting. And you, you made a comment earlier that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, there are always people that you can find that are there and willing to help you. And we both obviously hire coaches because we met at, at our coaches event. Um, when did you first have that realization? When, when did you hire your first coach or, or follow your first mentor along your path? I mean, I've always, you know, coming from, you know, inner city New York, I've always uh, looked to people who are doing better than I was and who seemed to know more than I did. And those have always been my mentors, and I would call, consider that free mentorship. And I think a lot of times people confuse mentorship with hand-holding, almost like a plumber and his apprentice or a carpenter and his apprentice where this person is showing you the ropes. But, you know, a lot of times it's in the, well, quote-unquote, insignificant moments when you're not really directly being taught that you can learn a lot. And so it's really just through a conversation. Like, I remember that. I remember how you approach that situation is by looking at someone's behavior, how they respond to conflict. And so, you know, something, they didn't lose their cool. They just spoke to the facts. They remained polite. All those things are ways that you can, you know, like I said, people are mentoring you along the way, but you don't really look at it uh, that way. And I think your parents, are your, for, for good or for bad, are your first mentors. Um, but then everything that your parents have, has shown, have shown you, um, then gets tested in the real world, right? There's a lot of things when you get into the real world, like you listen to your parents and it's like, this is, this didn't work. This doesn't work. And it, um, and the, I don't put it on your parents, but your parents are teaching you to do the right thing all the time and speak to people respectfully all the time and treat everyone the same all the time, Right. But as you get older and you start to realize life that everyone doesn't, you shouldn't be treating everyone the same. Some people don't have your best interest at heart. And you don't, your, your parents don't teach you that as a child, right? And you can see that now. Like, you know, you can treat everyone the same. Okay, that works. But you see kids going to school and they'll shoot other children. 
And, you know, you could be at a concert and someone will, there's some, uh, you know, uh, violent act is going to take place. So we as a society, you know, particularly when you're raising children, you train people like, oh, just be respectful, be nice, all that. But then something needs to switch as you get older and like, you know, something, not everyone is thinking the same way, you know. So there's mental illness out there. There are people that mean to do people harm. And you just need to be really aware of that. And this applies in business as well. There are people that get into business with you to screw you over, right, to take advantage of you. And so don't just go in there, you know, very innocent and with the best intentions. In everything you do, you have to be on guard, and not because you're not trusting of people, but is that you're using your wisdom and you're using discernment to figure out, okay, is this person, someone that I, sh- I want to be associated with and I feel comfortable, you know, doing business with. Uh, and so, you know, that from that standpoint and just uh, kind of went off on a tangent, but just to come back when it comes to mentorship is that, uh, you know, is looking at the people around you who are doing the things that you want to do and learning from them. When you get to a certain level of success or you feel as though there's no one else around you that you are learning and growing from, the first thing I would tell readers if they don't have a lot or listeners that if they don't have a lot of resources, reading is the next best thing. You can go online on read things. You can get books on your Kindle. That's one thing, one place to find mentors. But then, you know, what Adam and I have done is taken the next step where we now pay money to have someone be our coach and our mentor to help us develop a plan to um, uh, get to the our next level. Uh, that's, you know, I think – realizing once you've outgrown everything around you, that's when you start putting the money in and investing in yourself for the, you know, the next level of your growth. But I just want everyone to be mindful. Like when you do hire these coaches as an adult, it's very much like college. These aren't coaches like your sports coaches that are going to tear into you. If you don't follow through on the things that you're going to say, these people are coaches from the standpoint, they'll set out a framework for you to help you get to the next level. But, again, the discipline comes from you. You're the person that's going to have to execute on it. You're the person that's going to have to um, uh, make sure that the plan that laid out, uh, that was laid out, that you follow through on it. You're also the person that's going to have to prune it in case certain aspects of it are not going to work out, are not working out the way that you intended. Uh, But there is no one that's going to hover over you and kind of bark commands into your ear and tell you, hey, you're not keeping up with the program. You didn't follow through on what we set forth. That doesn't exist as an adult. It's all on you. Yep. The, the information is available and it's how we apply it that right. that changes our outcomes. Right, um, exactly. Really appreciate your thoughts. One, one final question that I had, and this relates to your book. So one, where, where can people get your book? I think I bought it on Amazon, so I'm one of those 500. So um, Sure. Yeah, is that the best place to get on, it? Uh, Amazon.com is probably the best place to get it. That's where most people do their shopping. They already have an online ID. Um, the other place you can get it is on the, in the Apple Store. Uh, and a lot of people have iTunes, uh, so you can get it there as well. And then the last place is BarnesandNobles.com, but I don't think that many people uh, use that as a vehicle to, to buy books. Um, but for those who are Barnes & Noble members, uh, that's a, a site that you can go to as well. And I encourage, I encourage everyone to, to read this book because it's, it's laid out very easy to read. It's got some of Paul's story in it. It's got a lot of really matter-of-fact, direct 
advice that you that's implementable. It's not you don't have to read it and pull out the nuggets from um, somebody's life story. He gives you the nuggets directly, and you have to read the footnotes. Um, the footnotes are freaking hilarious. What <laughs> when yeah, when writing the book? Why did yeah, you decide to, to do some of those footnotes? <laughs> well, I just want to also warn the readers that there is some strong language in the book. And the reason that I included it in that is not that I walk around, you know, cussing or using profanity all the time. But I always tell, I always say that human beings are made up of two people. There's the, the, the first person is the, the person that you, you dress up and you show the world. Um, and, you know, who's maybe the most put together person and always, you know, polite and all that stuff. But then there's the second person that has a lot of internal conversation. And that person may get upset, may get very angry. And I use the profanity in the book to really communicate the emotion behind what I'm thinking on a deeper level that propels me to move forward in my life, right? It's not that, like I said, it's not that I walk around just cussing all the time, but internally I say words to myself that kind of get me fired up or put me in the right frame of mind so that, you know, so for example, uh, for the listeners, like, you know, if they tell me, you know, an African-American has the lowest chance of becoming a millionaire. Well, in my mind, I drop a mental F-bomb to say, well, that's not happening to me. You know, I have a different destiny for my life. And so, you know, getting back to the footnotes is that that's really, the footnotes is really a lot of my internal conversation. You know, a lot of times people are not really transparent with what they think um, because I don't know, they don't want people knowing that they have, I don't know, dark thoughts or they don't agree with the majority. Um, but you can see it online, right? Someone could post a baby, a picture of a, a mother holding her baby. And, you know, you'll have, you know, 10,000 people put a thumbs up, but there's going to be 500 people that put a thumb, thumbs down, right? And what the hell those 500 people are thinking? I have no idea, but it's just that when people, you can see what is really the heart of humanity when you go online and you see some of the debates that break out um, uh, over the most meaningless of, of, of um, articles or posts online. And so uh, that is what I'm talking about. When people are anonymous, you're really getting their authentic self and their authentic thoughts. And what I was trying to do in the book by using those words is getting you into my authentic thoughts and not just put, making the world sound like sunshine and rainbows and feeling as though like, oh, if you just put your mind to it, anything you do is, a, is possible. Well, guess what? Emotionally, yes, that is true in theory, but we're emotional beings and we get upset. We get, we get, um, we feel defeated at times. We feel as though we don't have a chance. We feel like it's too late. We feel like we were born into the wrong family. We feel like we don't have this degree. We feel like all these different things. That's the chatter that goes in our minds. And so to break through that chatter, chatter you know, for me, I have to drop an F-bomb, mental F-bomb every once in a while. You know, for somebody else, it may be the complete opposite. But I'm a person about getting results. That's what I'm passionate about. I want people to have the best lives possible. I chose to write a financial book because a lot of people in my social circle, you know, now that I've become successful, you know, you now start realizing the people in your life that may be having a hard financial time but can never admit that to you. And now they're like, I want to learn from you, Paul. 
or, you know, you know, particularly like say, Paul, I need to borrow some money. I'm going through a rough time. Like those are the people I'm trying to reach. I'm trying to say, okay, how do you do better for yourself? Because nobody wants to be a leech off anybody else. They want to have their own. And so I'm not the type of person is, oh, look at me. Look what I have. No, look at what I did. You may not be able to do it in the same way that I did it, but here is something I did that I feel as though you can, um, you can do as well if you just look at your life in a different way. And it's such a great way to give back is to put your story out there, sort of warts and all, for people to say, hey, I have those same problems, but I can overcome them just like Paul did. I appreciate right. your story. I appreciate your time. Um, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts um, and your book with our listeners. I, uh, I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this and glad that I got to meet you and have you on the show. Yeah, no, Adam, I greatly appreciate it. You know, you are you know, one of the people that I consider to be, you know, a supporter. And again, you know, you and I did not know each other. We met through a mastermind group. And, you know, here you are creating a platform by which I can list that I can speak to listeners, you know, not so much about my book. Like I said, I would love if people pick up a copy of my book, uh, again, just to start a conversation. And, you know, uh, depending on how old you are, you've read several books in your life. There's not going to be, you know, oh, my God, this is the magic grail. This is the holy grail that we've always been looking for. Thank you, Paul. But what I'm looking to do is stimulate, you know, if a nugget or two stimulates something in you to think a little bit differently, to challenge your life in the direction that you want it to go, then I feel like, you know, I've done good work. And like I said, getting back to Adam, I just appreciate you for having this format and this forum for, which us, for us to have this discussion. And in any way, if you ever need my uh, support in any way, just let me know. Thank you. Will do. And, and great talking to you. And definitely um, check out Paul's book. Follow him on Instagram or, or wherever you, your social media is. And uh, just so people know, it's a lean, like a lean, mean fighting machine. But can you spell your last name so people can find you? Because it's got a Y in the middle in a place where you wouldn't think it would be. Yes, it's A-L-L-E-Y-N-E. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thanks. You've been listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.